You're listening to a session of Come Celebrate, hosted by the Bay Christian Family Church. I'm glad to be back with you. We had a great time last night. Oh, and there's even more in store. Oh, this is good news. I brought back my wife. She enjoyed it so much last night. She said, can I come back again this morning? I said, absolutely. And so she accompanied me, and I am uh, so thankful to have her. She's an amazing woman, my favorite person. So glad this is her first trip to South Africa. We love spending time together, and uh, we love going on dates. And, and even at home, you know, we do certain things to spend time together. And I know when it comes to the holidays, when I have time off, kids have time off, my wife always likes to invite us into one of her favorite things to do, which is puzzles. Do I have any puzzle lovers in here? Yeah, you weirdos. I don't like to do puzzles. My wife likes to do puzzles. She likes the 500, 750. Do I have any thousand piece puzzle lovers in here? Yeah, I know you reluctantly put your hand up because you already know you're in a special category. And, um, and so she likes to do the puzzles. She invites me to do it, you know, and I gracefully try to decline. But because I'm a good husband, I, I just got somebody in trouble because now their spouse is like, see, see, they do it. Because I'm a good husband, I decide to do some puzzles with her. And uh, so we do the puzzles together. And, um, and so I'm going somewhere with this. You know, it takes a level of commitment to stick with doing the puzzles. Because often I'll get to this point where I'll get frustrated and I want to quit. You know, you have that one piece, that one piece that just you can't find to go anywhere. And it seems to keep staring at you, daring you to quit, to throw in the towel. You know, for years, Japanese children have tested higher than American children on standardized math tests for many years, consistently. And researchers wanted to understand why. They said, well, maybe Japanese children are just smarter than American children in math. You know, at least over in our cu culture, over in our country in America, it's kind of a, a stigma that they have, um, or uh, we can say that, you know, it's something that's commonly uh, placed on them, that Asian children are very good at math. And I'm not sure if it's here in the same way, but, you know, we have that stigma that's a good one, I guess, to have, that you're smart, you know. And so the researchers, they set out to figure out why was this so. So they took a bunch of first graders and they gave them a puzzle, a hard puzzle to solve. Now, you might have started to think that, oh, the test and the research was done around solving the puzzle, but it wasn't in solving the puzzle. The researchers, they actually were trying to figure out how long it would take before the children would quit trying to solve the puzzle. What they found on average is that American children lasted about nine and a half minutes on average in trying to solve the puzzle before they would quit. They found that Japanese children lasted for about 14 minutes before quitting. So what this found and what they concluded was that Japanese children weren't smarter than American children. They just tried harder. They just lasted longer. On average, they lasted about 40% longer. So it wasn't about how smart they were. 
It was about their will to be persistent to continue to try. To continue to try. And what I've learned is that in every industry, in every culture, regardless of country, success is always a result of commitment. Always a result of commitment. We are here because a man and woman of God decided to stay committed. You might be finding success in your own life because you've decided to be committed. The men and women that we read about in the Bible, their stories are about their commitment to God. It says in the scripture, if you turn with me to Psalms chapter 37 and verse 5 in the English Standard Version. It says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Do I have anybody in here this morning who trusts in the Lord? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. It says it like this, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Notice that you can't get the succeeding of plans without what? Committing your actions to the Lord. A continual commitment to the Lord. So I've noticed that I have to commit my ways to the Lord first and before anything. Because if I try to step out and do it myself, eh, you know, I may get half-half results. I may get some results, but not the best results. I might even decide to throw in the towel because I get no results. But when I commit my way to the Lord first, my work will be better. My marriage will be better. My parenting will be better. Come on, my finances and my giving will be better. My health will be better. My attitude towards commitments will be better when I commit my way to the Lord. A divine rebuilding, that's one of our themes here today and this week. A divine rebuilding can only happen where there is commitment. But please don't misunderstand me because there is always a price to pay for commitment. I want to talk to you for the next 21 minutes from the subject titled, The Cost of Commitment. The Cost of Commitment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word here today. I thank you, Lord, that this word would come out with excellence, accuracy, and boldness, that you would think through my mind, speak through my lips, and I thank you, Father, that the seed of this word will go into every heart and bear forth much good fruit. Now I decrease that you may increase. I step back that you may step forward. And we decree and declare signs, wonders, and miracles, confirming the word preached, that you would give us supernatural strength and supernatural endurance to run the race, Father God, that you've set before us. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. I want to talk about Nehemiah this morning. And let me give you some context, some background. Years after Solomon completed the temple, the Babylonians, they came and destroyed the temple along with Jerusalem. And when destroying the temple, they took Israel and they forced them into exile. They forced them into slavery. And around 1446 B.C., we see a man named Nehemiah kept on, uh, bring, being brought onto the scene. He was actually the king's cupbearer. 
And he knew the history of what had happened to his people. And it really bothered him. It really disturbed him. He knew that his city had been ravaged. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. And the Bible actually says that he wept and mourned for many days, praying and fasting about what should be done. Maybe you find yourself in that place where it brings you to tears about that thing that you see in society that should be done, what the church should be doing, the opportunity that we have to change things in this nation, in this city. Maybe you can relate to what Nehemiah was going through. And so he repented on behalf of his people for sinning against God. And the next year, there was a time where he was bringing King Artaxerxes a drink And the king saw him looking sad, and if you know anything about royal culture, you know that that's even a risk in and of itself to look sad and present yourself sad before the king because that means that you're trying to draw attention into yourself. But what happened was he found favor with King Artaxerxes, and the king said, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Why are you so sad? And he said, my people's city lies in ruins, and no one is there to rebuild it back up, and The king said, well, what can I do for you, Nehemiah? He said, would you grant me the time to be able to take a leave of absence to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls? And he found favor in the king's sight. And Nehemiah was bold because he had the audacity to even ask for resources, to ask for timber and certain things to help rebuild the temple. Notice that when God gave him this passion to rebuild it, God also gave him the favor and the divine connections and the divine resources to be able to do that which he spoke to Nehemiah to do. So the king not only sent him with resources, but check this out. It says in Nehemiah 2.17 that the king granted this request and also gave him an armed guard. That's good. He got divine resources and divine protection. So next, what does Nehemiah do? He gathers all the different people from all over. Now, these weren't just contractors and subcontractors and skilled workers and people with architectural degrees. No, no, he gathered anybody who he could find, anybody who would say yes to the mission and the call. And he gathered them into 40 well-organized crews, and they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They built almost 500 meters of wall. And at the thickest points, this wall was about 20 feet thick. And they began to rebuild and rebuild. And as they were rebuilding, there was a couple guys by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah and other armies that heard about this. And so they came to attack Jerusalem. And the Bible says that they conspired together to create confusion. Isn't that amazing that when you're building something for the Lord, the enemy enemy will strategically send people to try to create confusion. And we pick up in the story in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 17. And it says this, Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. So part of them was building, and part of them was protecting what was built. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who uh, sounded the trumpet was beside me. 
Then I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and it is multiplied and it's extensive, it's wide, it's broad. And we are separated far from one another on the wall. Kind of sounds like this last couple years, right? We've spent a little bit of time maybe separated from each other. There's been times where we couldn't even gather publicly. I know at least in Chicago and in the U.S., we couldn't even gather publicly. We had to gather digitally. But Nehemiah says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. That even though they might have been separated as they were doing the mission, they all kept in mind that God is fighting for us. He's with us. We can face this battle together. And skip down to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. So here come the haters. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. Verse 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now he should have known that something bad is happening and trying to come because they wanted to meet him down in Ono. Ono. You get that on the way home. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So Nehemiah got the memo. So I replied by sending this message to them. He sent them a WhatsApp message. Why am I, enga well, I am engaged in a great work? So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? He's saying, why should I let distraction distract me? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. In verse 15, skip down. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. So we, he, he decided not to meet with those who were conspiring against him. And in verse 16, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Anything that God is calling you to do, it is going to require the help of Him to do it. Now, I know that that might sound simple, but sometimes I think we forget that we have to have faith to be able to finish the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Commitment, if you're writing notes, write this down. Commitment is a function of two things. Number one, clarity. What is the mission that we're being called to? And number two, buy-in. I believe that buy-in is attained by answering this question. Do I believe that my role is significant within this mission? Do I believe that my role is significant in this mission? How many people quit the mission and the mandate that God has given them because the enemy tries to convince them that their role is no longer significant? 
He tries to convince them through carefully crafted situations, conversations with people, issues, offenses. He tries to convince them that there is no value in what they can present. The enemy will always try to attack our significance as a way to minimize our commitment because he wants to neutralize you as a threat against his kingdom of darkness. So if you're writing notes, write this down. Here's the principle. Your level of commitment determines the level of the supernatural that you will experience. Your level of commitment determines the level of the supernatural that you will experience. Nehemiah, he decided to be committed, and it only took him 52 days to do something that astounded others. God wants to do something through you that will astound others, but it won't come void of commitment. So what I found is that there's something that uncommitted people have in common. Uncommitted people always find a reason to stop. Uncommitted people always find a reason to stop. Oh, it's too sunny outside. It's too rainy outside. My kids have something to do. I have to cook dinner. Oh, I just got invited here. I'm having some car trouble. You know, my kids don't really feel like going to the kids' church today. You know, I mean, there's... There's a thousand excuses that the enemy will feed you for why you can't stay committed to doing the work of the Lord. To why you can't lead a small group or a cell group. To why you can't join in on the praise team. To why you can't volunteer for this. For why you can't go here and transition for this new assignment. But I found something that committed people have in common. Committed people won't let anything tell them to stop. No matter what happens, no matter what it is, no matter what just came up, committed people will not let anything tell them to stop the work that God has them doing. So no matter if it's raining, they come. No matter if it's something that the kids have going on, they make arrangements. No matter what's going on in life, They said, I'm going to stick with the call of God on my life because there's a price to pay and the price is your comfort. The gospel is not here to make us comfortable. It's here to make us conformable. True enough, God wants to bless you with favor and joy and health and resources. But that's all to accommodate his call on your life. I used to think that God would bless us with more more resources to make us comfortable. No, no, no. That's actually not the main goal. (laughs) That can be a little side footnote. But God blesses you with more resources so you can do more within your calling. So you have less distraction. So you have more influence, because when you have affluence, (laughs) you seemingly get to gain influence. And there's more you can do for the kingdom. Commitment. Say, I'm committed committed. 
tell your neighbor to the side, I'm committed. Turn to your other neighbor, the good looking one, say, I'm committed. But there's a cost for commitments. I want to tell a story that last year I had an opportunity, my first time ever. I went to a, a retreat, uh, which was for men in ministry and for pastors. It was great. It was in uh, the state of Wyoming back in the United States, and it was like kind of like a secluded ranch. I mean, it was so far out there we couldn't get cell phone signal. And it was a time that we can just refresh, we can get together, we can share the word, share experiences, pray for each other, build each other up, just receive, and just spend time with God and spend time as godly men together. And so I had an opportunity. They said, David, I said, what's up? They said, we're going to climb a mountain today. They said, you in? I said, I'm out. (laughs) No thanks, I'm good. You guys enjoy. I, I didn't bring any kind of hiking boots or anything. I'm a city boy. You know, I come from Chicago, you know, so paved streets is my thing. Not necessarily scaling mountains. That's not my thing. But they said, no, 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 come, David, come on, come on, do it. I said, okay. And I said, well, I, I don't have anything else to do. I mean, we're in the secluded place. There's like no electronics or anything, no, no cell phone signal. I had to call my wife from the, the, the landline phone that had a cord. <laughs> So I said, okay, fine. And so we did it. And let me tell you, that was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Took us almost a few hours to get up the side of that mountain. 1,500 feet up. Now, we were already in the mountainous area. So we were already about maybe 6,500 feet above sea level. So the air was already thin. But now we're scaling 500 meters up the side of this mountain. And if you could put my first picture up, the picture of just me, uh, the picture of just me. I took a picture up there while I was at the top of the mountain. Hopefully you guys have it. And I took a picture. There I am. The city boy. Out in the mountains. It was actually, we climbed so much that the air temperature changed about 15 degrees. And by the time we were up there, you see the the flex, that's actually snow. It was snowing on the top of the mountain. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience, but one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And let me tell you, as we were climbing, because the air was so thin, there was less oxygen, it would only take me about 30 seconds before I would get tired and start to get winded. And I consider myself a pretty in-shape guy. I work out regularly, exercise regularly. But, I mean, we were scaling the mountain, and some of the areas of the mountain, I mean, I had to really get on all fours and pulling shrubs and rocks to try to bear claw my way up the mountain. And, man, you know, sometimes I would get this burst of energy and take about 90 seconds, and I would look back, and I only went about maybe five meters. (laughs) And I would have to sit every so often. And, Apostle, you know, sometimes when I would sit like this, I would... I would look down and look back at how far we had come. 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters. And I would say, well, I think that this is far enough. This is respectable. I'm not a country boy. I'm not used to climbing these mountains like you all are. We had a couple guides with us, and they were, I mean, they were just climbing it like, like jaguars, like, like some kind of mountain lions. It was easy for them. And I would sit and I would look back 
And every time I look back, it would try to convince me that I had come far enough. And the feeling of quitting would get stronger inside of me. But when I looked up and saw what hadn't been completed yet, how far I had to go, then it rose up in me that the work is not yet done. The mission is not completed. I got to get up and I have to keep going. I have to keep climbing. See, I learned that the more I look back, the more I wanted to quit. But the more I looked at the mission, the more I got energized to keep going where God wanted me to go. So I kept climbing and climbing. And yeah, I would have to take my breaks to catch my breath. But I kept climbing and kept climbing because the goal was not to get on the mountain. The goal was to climb the mountain. And I'm here to remind you today of what God has already spoken to you. What the goal is, what the mission is, what God has asked you to build, to start, to construct, to open and operate. What has God been speaking to your heart? Have you been faithful to the mission? Have you paid the cost of commitment? I'm looking at some committed people here today. And I'm so thankful that you decided to say yes to God. But my encouragement to you today is continue to stay committed. The work is not yet completed. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. In the message translation, I like the way the message translation lays it out. Galatians 6 9 says this. So let us not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. And at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up. If we don't quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. It said, do not allow yourselves to get fatigued doing good. So you can get fatigued doing good. Not just when things are going rough, but even doing a good work, there's a cost. There's a price to pay. Sometimes things can get difficult. Sometimes the pressures of life can try to sink down on you, but you can't get fatigued doing good. God spoke to me and told me to release this to you. That God wants you to depend on Him. But there's some of you who have forgotten what it's like to trust in God. You've been holding back and maybe playing it safe. But God says, launch out into the deep. Because He wants you to depend on Him. You know what I've learned? I've learned that when you choose the larger vision, you actually stay dependent on God. When you choose the smaller vision, the reduced version of the vision, it actually entices you to stay dependent on yourself. But God says, no, no, bring the vision and the dream back up to where I originally gave it to you. Because you will start to have to depend on him. What Nehemiah was doing was something that was so big that he had to depend on God. The vision of this house is so big that apostle has to depend on God. 
You have to depend on God to do it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. And I'm going to read this part out of the Passion Translation. You may not have it. And you can put up whatever translation you do have. But I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation because this was when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And pressure was coming in on him. And he wanted to quit, but notice what he did in verse 37. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He didn't take all the disciples. He didn't take the extended network of disciples. He took Peter, James, and John, the three that were closest to him. And it says, however, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into agony. What is his soul? His mind, his will, and emotions. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I am dying. Stay here and keep watch over and, and keep watch with me. And then he walked a short distance away and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, my father, if there is any way you can deliver me from this suffering, suffering, please take it from me. Yet what I want is not important. Let me say that part again. Yet what I want is not important. See, Jesus, he didn't want the suffering, but he also didn't want what he wanted. So we said, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. There's so much that we can say about this, but there's one thing I want to highlight. I love the fact that he didn't go to the garden alone. He didn't go alone. He asked his team to watch with him. Not just everyone, those closest to him. And I think sometimes we undervalue the importance of community. We undervalue the importance of having those core people that God has put in our lives to be able to ask them to pray with us, to stand with us, to believe with us, to encourage us in those times. God has given you that community of believers for such a time as this. And you know, I'm so thankful that when I was climbing up that mountain, you can put that other picture up there, please. When I was climbing up that mountain, I wasn't doing it alone. But I actually had seven other men with me and each one of them were encouraging me. And as they encouraged me, I also encouraged them. Because we wanted to quit at different times. We wanted to stop and throw in the towel at different times. But each time we wanted to stop, the other one would come and say, Hey, David, come on. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Come on. You can do it. Keep climbing. Keep going. Don't give up. And all of us reach that mountaintop together. All of us were able to say, we completed the mission together. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. Community breeds commitment. Community breeds commitment. You know why? Because it creates the environment for accountability. Community creates the environment for accountability. That's why I love the setup of this house with the pastoral team and the small groups because embedded in that is accountability. 
Are you leading? Are you doing the work of the ministry? Are you staying committed? Are you attending church services? Are you growing? Are you volunteering here? Who are you leading? Who are you helping to grow? So my time is over and I need to quit, but I want to give you this last point. How do we stay committed? It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, let us keep looking to Jesus. That's the message right there. Let us just keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith, and he is the one who completes the journey of faith. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to zero in on that sentence. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. So how do I stay committed? Keep looking forward. How do I stay committed in the midst of pain and grief and sorrow? Keep looking forward. How do I stay committed in the midst of disappointment and struggles and challenges? Keep looking forward. Because when I stop looking forward, my commitment is at risk. You can stay committed to what you are committed to by what you are looking forward to. The mission is worth the effort. I want to remind you this morning that the mission of making disciples is worth the effort. The mission of spreading the gospel is worth the effort. The mission of lifting the burden of society is worth the effort. And the burden of humanity, it's worth the effort. The changing of communities is worth the effort. The making the waste places like the Garden of Eden, it's worth the effort. The having a healthy and prosperous marriage, it's worth the effort. To raising godly children, it's worth the effort. Don't quit. Don't quit on God's mission. I feel the stirring in my family, or my spirit. Don't quit on your family. There's somebody here. You're thinking about quitting on your family. Don't quit. Don't quit on that marriage. Don't quit on that son or that daughter. God is counting on your persistence to be able to change some things. Jesus, he didn't do the work in the cross until he was tired. He said, it is finished. He worked until it was finished asking God to strengthen him. So just like Nehemiah, this level of commitment can't come without divine assistance. This level of commitment, God has to give you the strength for the mission. He has to give you the strength for this mission. And my prayer to you today is that God would strengthen you. That God would strengthen you and what he's called you to do. And there might be some of you all here that have been grown weary. You've been growing tired. Maybe the last two years has been very rough and very stressful. Whether it's in the ministry or church context, or maybe it's just in the context of life. But my ask of you is to pay the cost for the commitment. I want you to stand with me before I pray with you. And before I hand it back over to Apostle.
God gave me a very special assignment this morning, not just to teach this word, but I want to pray a prayer for you because God started to speak to my heart about you all who are leaders in the church. I'm not just talking about pastors, but you might be lay leaders. You might be leading different aspects of the different ministry, volunteering here in ministry. You might be leading a small group. Do I have any people who lead a small group in here? Any small group leaders? Okay, I see some of you all. You might be leading in the different aspects. But what my good friend Dr. Sam Chan says in one of his books, Leadership Pain, is he says this, growth always brings change. And change can bring loss sometimes. The change might bring a transition, the loss of a job. Or maybe change might bring the loss of a relationship. Unfortunately, a lot of people through the last couple years have had changes in their family where they've had to grieve the loss of a loved one. And loss usually brings pain. And I want to pray for the leaders here today because I feel in my heart that there might have been a pain that you've had to endure over this season. And sometimes what happens as a leader is you're taking care of the needs of everyone else. But who's taking care of the needs of you? I know God is there to supply all of our needs. Absolutely. But some of you all in this season might have grown weary. But the Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. You might find yourself at a place where you're feeling low, you're feeling empty, you're feeling like you have nothing left to give. Maybe you've experienced some people turning their back on you in a season where you needed them the most. Maybe you were grieving the loss of a loved one and you needed some encouragement, but you sent the SMS message and nobody replied. Maybe you kept showing up to lead and people kept leaving the group and now you're only left with a few. Or maybe you expected more from somebody who was leading over you. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with, but I know my assignment is clear. That it says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. So my prayer for you today is supernatural strength and supernatural endurance. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people of God. I thank you for every leader who is here under the sound of my voice. Who has been in a season, Father, that they are doing good, but maybe getting weary. I decree and declare that they will enter into your supernatural rest. I speak supernatural strength and supernatural endurance over them today. That, Lord, you will heal their heart. That any pains or burdens that they're carrying with them, Father, that they will give over to you. That your burden is light and your yoke is easy. That you said we can cast all of our cares on you, Lord. Because you care for us. Lord, I thank you for caring for us. And that you care for your flock. Speak to their hearts today, Father. That the things that they've had to go through, Lord, it's all for a purpose. 
that you are still there with them and that even when we are faithless, you are still faithful. Help us to recalibrate our expectation, Father, and see with a divine, heavenly, eternal perspective. Let us not look back any longer, but let us move forward to the things that you've called us to, to the greater works you've called us to, to the greater anointings, to the greater and better promises, to the things that you have spoken over us, the prophecies you declared over us, the words that you've given us, Lord, in our prayer time from the apostle, from our leaders, from our pastors. In the name of Jesus. I hear the Lord saying, son, daughter, I know that word that has been spoken over you. It shall come to pass in this season. Remind yourself of that word. Holy Spirit, bring back to their remembrance the things that you've decreed and declared over their lives. To prosper them, to move them out, to launch them into their own businesses, to launch things in organizations and even ministries being birthed, Father, here from this ministry. I thank you, Lord, that this is the time of a new birth and a divine rebuilding. But, Lord, we can't do it void of your power. We thank you for your strength. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us. You said you are near to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, help us to see the best in people. Don't let us look at people through our wounds and scars, but let us look at them through the lens of love that we would reach more for your glory and for your kingdom than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Give God a praise and a thanks. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this session of Come Celebrate. We hope you enjoyed.